0: Let's pray together. God, thank you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to pay the penalty that was uh, our responsibility. We ask that the Holy Spirit continues to indwell us, and empower us as we live out the gospel, as we continue to, to model what it looks like to love one another and, and to love you, God. We praise you for what you're doing here. We thank you for this house of worship, that we can worship you. We pray that our, uh, our praises and all that we say and do today would bring glory and honor to you. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat this morning. Uh, my name is Jesse Peters, and I'm the, the student ministry pastor here at Grace. Uh, it's so good to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, Pastor Jesse is doing really well. He wanted to be here so badly to preach. Uh, You know, we all know how much he loves God's word. He loves you and he loves uh, communicating that to all of us. Um, And so, yeah, we will continue to uh, look at a passage of scripture this morning um, and we're going to look and continue to see God's glory uh, in the Old Testament. One quick announcement right before we do that. Uh, We have elder nominations going on right now. And so if there's someone that you um, have just been getting to know, maybe it's in a life group or you just know them really well, and they would be a great uh, person to continue to pray and lead uh, the grace here. We'd love to get their name. And so there's a process to do that in the Connection uh, Center as you exit. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to continue in our sermon series, Seeing the Glory of God. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. It's so encouraging when we can gather to sing praises. Thank you, Pastor Matt and the team for just leading us in powerful worship. Um, and so we're going uh, to continue to sit, just see God, uh, God's glory. And so the sermon title today is Escaping the Noise, Resting in God's Glory. And so naturally, I, uh, when I'm talking to someone, especially if there's a lot of other conversations that are taking place in a small room, um, I can get really distracted. There'll be conversations that are taking place, and uh, I, just, I hear snippets of the conversation, and maybe it's topics that I'm interested in. Maybe it's like Chick-fil-A or the Bible or sports or something like that, right? And the worst is when it's about me, right? They start talking about me or they mention my name, and all bets are off on me paying attention and listening to that person. And it's something I'm working on, and it's something I'm continuing to work on by God's graces. Um, and maybe you can relate. But it's not just for me sometimes. It's not just uh, conversations, but it's also listening in life. Sometimes there's a lot of noises, there's a lot of voices, and I get distracted, and I listen to those noises and forget God's truth. And as I was meditating and thinking about this, um, there was a passage that came to mind, and that's First Kings chapter 19. And so I would encourage you, if you have a Bible with you or access to the Bible on a device, I would encourage you guys to turn uh, to 1 Kings chapter 19. As you guys are turning there, there's a bit of context I want to just give us so that we're on the same page. Um, the, the nation of Israel is highlighted here in these couple chapters, and King Ahab uh, is not the greatest king that Israel ever had, to put it lightly. Uh, he is, uh, his government openly and promotes the worship of a false god named Baal. Right And turning away from God's law, turning away from worshiping God, and uh, he is, he's not leading the country well. See, God had designed kings to, to shepherd and to provide and protect, and ultimately to bring glory and honor to God through their leadership. And this was not taking place. And as often happened with both Israel and Judah, prophets God would send to remind the people of God's truth. To call them back to the worship of Yahweh and the worship of his law. So Elijah appears in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, and we'll kind of trace his life a little bit here. He is someone who is called by God to be a prophet, to call the people back to worship in Yahweh. What's interesting is Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. Pretty powerful. And so as, they, uh, as Elijah is calling Ahab and the people of Israel back to worshiping the true God, God arranges a confrontation on Mount Carmel in chapter 18. And all the prophets and the priests that, that, that uh, are the leaders of Baal, they come and the glory of God appears in a magnificent way and the altar is burned up. Baal's priests, they try as, as they may, and their altar is not lit. There is no uh, evidence of what's ta- of Baal being a true God. And so as we get here, there's a lot to praise God. Elijah is riding this mountaintop experience of seeing God's glory show up, and all the people of Israel are witnesses to this. And as we turn to chapter 19, all of this kind of comes into focus as voices continue to. To rattle Elijah's faith. So if you're with me in 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 4. And we're just going to take section by section. And I've outlined kind of the sermon in this way. We're going to see uh, listening to the noise. And then we're going to, we're going to find seeking, seeking rest in the wilderness. And then we're going to be finding God's glory that gives us rest, refreshment, reassurance, and resurgence. So this first part here in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see how Elijah listens to the noise. I'm going to read out of the English, English Standard Version, but please read along in your version. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. We see here in this passage... Coming on the heels of chapter 18, Elijah, a man with courage and faith, he's continued to seek the Lord and to bring people back to a saving relationship with God. And Jezebel, the queen, who is the the, the prophetess of Baal, she hears all that Elijah had done and she is upset. She's upset at the confrontation at Mount Carmel and her response is not one that Elijah expected or maybe we would expect. The silence of her God... And just the outpouring of God's glory on Mount Carmel is not enough for her to repent or to change her ways or even to say, I am sorry, or to confess her sin and return to the worship of Yahweh. In fact, it's the opposite. Jezebel uses threats and a messenger to, to call out Elijah and call for his head. In fact, you'll see here that this, this attack that Elijah receives is so... Uh, Personal and such an attack on his character that he runs. He is scared for his life and he runs away. And this is such a huge turn of events from chapter 18 where, if you read through it, Elijah is bold, he's confident in the Lord, and he continues to uh, mock even the, the worship of Baal. This boldness is amplified by the fact that God sent rain and ended a three year drought that was taking place in Israel. God had showed up in numerous ways, and yet Elijah is cut to the heart by this voice from Jezebel. Now, it's easy to see Elijah's actions as cowardice, but as we attempt to see ourselves in his shoes, I think we find that we have a lot in common with Elijah. Elijah is used by God in amazing and supernatural ways, and yet even when these accusations come, when the noise comes, it rattles him to the core. I think what's even more cutting to Elijah's heart is that the people, they've seen how God has worked, and they do not revolt. They don't turn from their wicked ways. They continue to worship Baal, and they do not turn to Yahweh. And this is very uh, troubling for Elijah. And I think it reminds us of all of us sometimes. When setbacks and challenges and obstacles come, the noises that are associated with that, they attack us as people of God. We're not immune to the effects of noise, the attacks of the enemy, the lies and the doubts that come. I'm reminded of the early ministry of Billy Graham, and some of you maybe uh, are familiar with him. He was faced with many challenges in his faith, challenges with how could a loving God and be all-sovereign, uh, how could he allow or it be exist with all the atrocities that are taking place through World War II? During the same time, he was up to the hills in LA and he just communed with God and sought him and his word it was during this time that he escaped the noise to seek God and to understand more of, of his love and his character and looking back decades later Elijah or uh, Billy Graham can see how this is very pivotal in his ministry and life that he continues to proclaim the gospel and it's interesting that it's around the same time many people that were preaching the same gospel co-workers with him they were rattled to the faith And they listened to the the noise and they leaned in and ultimately walked away from their faith. When the noise comes into our life that tries to pull us away from God, pull us away from his word, from his voice, where do you turn? Do you lean into that noise by believing those thoughts, those lies, those attacks on God and his word? Or do we press into God, listening to his word, listening to his character and what he said already about us? As we see in our passage in the first four verses here, Elijah, he chooses to run from the noise. And so we see the progression here if you look through the different, the verses one through four. He runs with his pastoral assistant. You'll see that his servant, right? As a prophet, he would have a pastoral assistant that he was training, like an intern. And they travel 80 miles south, right? You have Israel in the north and you have Judah in the south. Beersheba is in Judah. So he runs 80 miles south to the farthest town in Judah, He's running from his life and escaping the noise. He leaves his assistant there. He leaves his servant there in Beersheba, and he travels another day into the wilderness. Now, as commentaries have said, that this is a sign of him quitting the ministry. He's quitting what God has called him to do because of the the, the noise and the challenges that are associated with it. Right? And some of us can relate to that too the noise, the attacks that have come upon us, it can be really easy to throw in the towel. It can be really easy to run from our problems and continue just to to quit. I just give up, God. It appears from the text that Elijah is running from this noise, but sometimes the noise stays with him. It's great that he's running from the noise. It's it's great maybe that he's running from uh, Samaria where he's at, but at the same time, he lets the noise in his head continue to tear him down. He sits down under a broom tree. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but this is significant. He sits down under a broom tree, which is just a really small shrub, minimal shade in the wilderness, and he sleeps. He's discouraged. He's alone. He's filled with doubt, and we can relate to that too. I think the last two years has shown us a lot of just noise, a lot of conflict, a lot of issues that we uh, just feel exhausted and worn down by. And some of us, maybe we feel like Elijah today. The doubts, they've filled us so much that we're not sure where to go. The noise, the fog, it's overwhelming. And maybe we've even thought, a room this size, I think there's probably a good chance that some of us have even thought what Elijah said Lord, maybe it's best if I'm not here anymore. And as painful as that is, yeah, I know. I can relate. But I want to tell you today there's hope. There's hope. Jesus Christ is alive. God, he loves us more than we could ever imagine. And he wants to continue to work and use us. And as we'll see here, there's a ways that God will work with Elijah, just like he will work with us. He wants us to experience that close-knit relationship with God so that we can experience everything that he has for us. So Elijah has listened to the noise. He's been led into the wilderness. And what God wants to do next is give him rest. He wants to meet him in that place. There's so much that we could just dive into the wilderness here. Wildernesses typically get a bad rap in the Bible. If you look through the whole of of the Old Testament, wildernesses were where people went to uh, die, escape, uh, different things, right? But wilderness is also where God can meet us. He met the people of Israel in the wilderness. He met Moses in the wilderness, and he wants to meet you in the wilderness as well. God does some of his greatest works in the wilderness. Sometimes it seems hopeless. There seems like there's no end in sight. There's no food. There's no water. And the Israelites experience God's grace and his mercy in the wilderness. And Elijah is going to experience God's mercy and grace in the wilderness as well. There's no place outside of God's reign and rule that God cannot meet us, God cannot work, and God cannot love us. So Elijah is escaping the noise, but the noises are still in his head. He's longing for rest in the wilderness. And as we come to verses 5 through 8, we see God meet him right in that space. So if you're with me in 1 Kings 19, let's pick it up again in verse uh, 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake... Baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Notice the ways that God begins to work in the wilderness with Elijah, and He does it with complete wisdom and marvelous majesty. He meets meets Elijah in three ways. If you look at that in verses five through nine, He 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 meets him in the first way with rest, sleep. He lays down under a broom tree from the shade, in the shade, and he sleeps. Now, I think for a lot of us, we all know that we need sleep and we don't get enough of it. But what I point out to us, that when we're facing doubt and obstacles and things like that, and we're just trying to discern God's voice, but through all the noise, I think we're inhibited a lot of times by our own lack of physical sleep. Study after study shows us countless ways of how sleep is detrimental to our growth, our just well-being, everything and I think for us personally, there's some questions that we can make. I know different life situations with kids, work, different things like sleep patterns, rhythms get messed up. But I think the, the heart of it is, is what choices are we making to value sleep and make it a priority? For me personally, I, it's just one more, it's one more show before bed. I, can, I, can, I got time. I can do it. Or, oh, I can do this project. One, I, 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 could, I got this project. I can wrap this up in 10 minutes. No, easy peasy. Or... Oh, I wonder if someone posted on my wall or liked my post. Or I wonder if that YouTube channel, if they uploaded any more uh, new videos, right? And that inhibits us from getting that sleep that God so desperately needs for us. And God also, he sends an angel to Elijah. Now, there's two, two points here. Uh, the second here is, is Elijah, he experiences the community of an angel. And I think some of us so desperately long for that connection of being with someone And that's why life groups are so important here. That's why having Christian brothers and sisters to walk life is so important. But the angel, when he comes to Elijah, he doesn't, like we see in some parts of the Bible, he doesn't come and say, what are you doing here, Elijah? He doesn't say, you know, like, behold, I bring you glad tidings of good news or fear not, right? All the angel does is he cooks for him. And I love this. I love this because food is so important. We all love to eat. And some of us that are fasting, man, it shows us more and more of how much we love food. And I want to tell you here that the rhythm of eating healthy and wisely is so important for, our, for our, not only our physical bodies, but our connection with God. And the third way that God invites Elijah on a spiritual journey. You see that at the end of verse 8 here. Forty days and forty nights as he journeys to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Now you see that, that's a long time. And the angel of the Lord, he gives him a second meal for the strength to travel all 40 of those days. The journey is going to be too long for him not to eat. And so that, and that, gives, me, uh, that gives me instructions that this was a 40-day fast that Elijah is taking part in. Now, 40 days is a long time. I, I, please uh, hear me. We're not asking you to do a 40-day fast for sure. But what, what God is inviting, is inviting him and what he invites us to do as well is to rely on his strength, And to seek him. And that's the whole part of this whole month of prayer and fasting is to rely on God's strength and seek him and know him. And so Elijah, he takes this journey. 40 days is significant. 40 days of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness seeking God, going around around and around because of their failure to enter the promised land. Now, I want to be careful here and not imply that Elijah's, this was a huge spiritual failure, though it, it very well could be. But the significance of this 40 years, or 40 days is to continue to rely on God's strength and to seek him. And so God invites Elijah to encounter him, his glory to recharge him and rejuvenate him. And so God set Elijah on a 200-mile journey that would take 40 days and nights God didn't demand an immediate recovery from Elijah, but allowed him in this space to seek him and to process all that he's going through. So what does this mean? Well, I think a lot of ways, I think this gives me a lot of encouragement that God isn't like a lot of uh, people I've met, right? Where if you're going through uh, some doubts or some questions or some challenges, it's really easy for people to say, well, just having more faith, just trust God, Just, just keep praying, or have you confessed sins? And those are all great things, but God, he works in our physical as well as our spiritual lives. And so it's important for us that as we, as, as we go through challenges and doubts, as we're listening to and escaping the noise, to rely on God's strength, we need to be filled with by God. We need to seek him, we need that nourishment, that's why Sabbath is so important, that's why rest is so important, that's why fasting is so important, and seeking his word through prayer and Bible reading. And so as we come to that last section, verses 9 through 8, we're going to find Elijah finding rest, refreshment, reassurance, and resurgence in God's glory. So we're going to pick up the last uh, nine verses here. So Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the, Lord, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And behold, and he said, And go out." Verse 11, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Moholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who who escapes from the sword of uh, Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death." Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. We see in this section, God is finding Elijah, and Elijah is seeking God. I'm so uh, comforted by this passage, because Elijah, he comes to Mount Horeb, which we know this mountain by another name in the Bible— Mount Sinai is the other name that's given to Mount Horeb. It's the same mountain that Moses and the Israelites camped uh, at the base of, and, and Moses climbed up to meet with God and receive the, the law. This mountain is significant, and I know for some of us, we have those significant places in our life where God showed up, he met with us, and in, we empowered in, in, encountered him in ways that we rarely felt other places. I know for Tricia and I, we went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and there's a lot of amazing places where God showed up in classes, in conversations, in different ways. And so having an opportunity to travel and see those places again just encourages our faith. And I know for you guys, for all of us, there's probably places where God has showed up and we've encountered him. And I think sometimes when we're escaping that noise to seek those secret places of the Lord, to meet with him, Maybe that's here at church. Maybe that's a, that's a walk in a park. Maybe that's in a, a, a prayer closet. I would just encourage us to continue to reflect on those places where God has showed up. Now, commentaries, they have shown me a lot of wisdom here. This cave that Elijah camps out in, the word that the Hebrew language uses for cave is also the same word for cleft or a hollow or a hole in the side of the mountain. And this is significant because when uh, when Moses climbs up Mount Sinai in in chapter 33 of Exodus, he hides in a cleft of a rock as God's glory passes and God's presence passes by him. And he sees just a glimpse of who God is. And so it's very likely that this is the same place that Moses had traveled to. And Elijah wants to see and experience God for himself. And so as God shows up, it's encouraging for me and it's encouraging for us that James 4, eight says that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Elijah is living out this promise and we can as well. When we draw near to God, God is faithful and true. He's going to come, he's going to show up, and he's going to speak to us. And that's exactly what he does to Elijah. I, I'm so encouraged when God asks questions like, what are you doing here, Elijah. And he asks us some of the same questions. It's not a question of uh, judgment. It's not coming down with fire and brimstone. He's asking a question to get at our heart and our core. And throughout the Bible, you'll see that time and time again. The first parents, Adam and Eve, when they had sinned and they knew it, God meets them and asks them a question Where are you, Adam and Eve? And the same is happening here as well. God knows he doesn't ask questions because he's seeking information. He knows he wants to get to our heart. And he wants us to express what's in our heart and what's, what's on our mind. The struggles, the, the doubts, the lies that we've been believing so that he can minister and speak truth into our life. And I'm thankful, and I hope that you are too, of like Psalms 13, like, like the Psalms that have us crying, David crying out to the Lord, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? During this season, right, lament prayers have been probably uh, quite a few than in recent years. And we we have a God that we can pray to, we can continue to communicate to our pain, and we can seek him and continue to come to him with our, our doubts, with our questions, and he is faithful and just to hear us. Elijah's explanation of why he's here when he asks, answers Elijah or God's question, he says, I've been doing everything right. If you summarize right verse 10 here, I've done everything right, God. I've, I've followed your plan to the T. I've done everything exactly right. In fact, uh, there was such a manifestation of your glory that I expected everybody to repent. In fa- but instead, no one flinched, no one repented, no one is serving you. In fact, they've thrown down all of your altars where we, we've sacrificed to you, they've re- refused to follow your covenants, and they've actually killed all the people, all the prophets that are trying to remind them of God's truth, and now they're seeking to kill my life. Now, what I'm encouraged here is that Elijah is is given freedom to share what's on his heart and mind, but he also is just speaking physically, right? He just knows that his life is in danger, but notice how God experiences, or how God reacts to this in verse 11. God could have easily shot down all of these misconceptions that Elijah had. He could have easily said, hey, how do you know that no one else follows me? Have you asked every single person in Israel? Have you you know for a fact that no one is following your covenant, God? He could have easily said that, but instead, God just shows his glory to Elijah. See how he he shows up? If you're an earth, wind, and fire fan, this is perfect for you. God shows his glory in the earth. Quake, wind, and fire. And you'll see how God, He He is not physically in these things, but part of His glory, it rattles and shakes the mountain that Elijah is in. And he is terrified and he hides in that cave. But notice what brings him out, what actually cuts to his heart is in verse 13. When he's hiding in that cave, God shows up in a still small voice, right? Or a gentle whisper. And that what cuts to his heart. And I think that's significant, right? Elijah, perhaps, he saw all the dramatic powers that God had done right there in that mountain. He also saw at Mount Carmel. And that radical display, it didn't change the hearts of the Israelites. And it didn't even, the voice of the Lord is what rattled Elijah's heart. Cut him to the heart and displayed that God's glory is here and that God wants to continue to use him. So we see the voice of the Lord. He asks Elijah again what he's doing. And if you look at what's going on, he just feels like he doesn't have a mission. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have a hope. And he continues to seek the Lord for what's going to happen next. And so God gives him a mission. Last couple verses here, Elijah is given a a response about being all alone. Actually, in fact, there's 7,000 Elijah that had do not worship Baal. There's 7,000 that I know that worship me. You're not alone. You have a community, and I'm still at work. And he gives him that reassurance that God's up to something. He gives him a mission of three things that he's going to be going to do. He's going to anoint three people that are going to be key players in God's mission and plan through the rest of 1 Kings and into 2 Kings. And they're going to play a pivotal part in how the people of Israel are going to follow and worship God. And so when Elijah leaves... Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, he's rejuvenated, he's refreshed, he's found that rest in God's glory and has given him a resurgence to continue to follow the Lord, all right? He came to the mountain discouraged and tired, but now he's leaving assured and energized that God is still alive, God still works, and God is still has a plan for him. There's so much more to Elijah's life. I have like 10 pages of notes, and so I'm not going to go through all of them. There's so much, there's so much to his life in ministry, but for now, I just want us to like stop and think, like, what does this passage mean for us? And I don't know about you, but for me, this passage, it reminds me how quickly I am how quickly I am uh, able to forget God's promises, forget what God's doing, forget what he has said about me, what he's called me to do, and believe the noise, the lies, the distractions. And when that happens, I give in to the doubts that God can't use me, God doesn't want to use me, God isn't alive, God's word is not God's revealed word. And that is a slippery slope. And I know for a lot of us, that could be where we're at. And when we step out of that noise and we seek the Lord, I think we can find that rest in God's glory. See, God has, he's called us out of darkness and he's called us into the light. He's called us to be sons and daughters of God. And I'm so thankful, right, when we believe some of the lies and some of the doubts. We don't have to travel to a mountain. We don't have to travel to Horeb, though. If you have the opportunity, uh, please do. We don't have to travel anywhere because centuries later, after Elijah, there was another man that climbed up a mountain, and instead of sitting under a tree, he hung on a tree for us, and he died for us so that we could lay and sit in his rest, sit in his shade, and have a full, free life that God has given us. Jesus is the source of ultimate rest. The longing that we all have to have a right relationship with God, to have peace in this world, to have rest, is found in Jesus Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus famously says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Maybe you're here this morning, and for a long time, you've just been wrestling with this noise. There's been a noise, there's been distractions. They're causing you to doubt who God is, God's love for you, and his plan for your life. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus is uh, just something that you're thinking about, investigating. And if that's true, I thank you so much for investigating to see if the truths and the values of Jesus Christ are valid. And what was a game changer for me was that Jesus is the Son of God. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son, full from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's glory, his presence dwelt among us, meaning we can experience God's presence in a personal way through believing in Jesus. And I love those last words, full of grace and truth. If we come back to 1 Kings 19 and Elijah, Elijah could experience the still small voice because he was hid in that rock, in that cave. While the wind, while the earth quaked, while the, the fire burned against the rock, he was protected. In the same way, we are too. That voice of grace and truth spoke to Elijah and it was, can speak to us as well. And so as we worship God for the provision of rest... There's a couple things that come to mind for us as a way of application. Elijah's example of connecting with God through this passage, I think, have implications for us today. It definitely does for me. I think, number one, escaping the noise is something that we need to do daily and probably multi-daily, right? Often. And I think of fasting from the areas that the voices may be speaking to us. I know during this time of prayer and fasting, some of us have chosen to be off social media or off different apps. We've chosen to fast from certain things where maybe those voices are distracting us from what God has to say to us. And I think the second one here that was really impactful for me is Sabbath. Now, oftentimes in the church, we we talk about Sabbath, but we don't actually maybe practice it. And maybe sometimes we don't even understand it. But Sabbath was a day set aside for rest, a day from, from resting from work and connecting with God to praising him for all that he has done. And we have that modeled with God on the seventh day of creation, resting and enjoying, saying it's very good. And for us, we go nine to five and then some. And we don't have that time to rest in God's glory, God's presence. And so maybe that's a, that's a habit, a spiritual discipline that we can continue to practice and, and live out. And the third one, and one that I'm seeking to do more and more, is listening to God's word. When the lies come, when the doubts come, when the noise is overwhelming and exhausting, we need the importance of God's word to be speaking truth to our hearts. Through the through Bible, through prayer, we need to connect with God so that we know what he has said about us, about the world, and his plan for us. And we can do that through a Bible reading. So the worship team is going to come up here in a couple seconds, uh, but just to summarize, true rest comes in God's glory when we escape the noise and believe, abiding and responding to that still, small voice of God. And so for all of us, I think there's opportunities for us to take those steps to continue to find rest in God. And so maybe uh, you've been attending Grace for a long time, and you're just like not sure where to start. Well, this is a perfect opportunity, perfect season, because we're in a season of prayer and fasting. And it's an opportunity just to seek the Lord, to rely on, his, rely on his strength and to seek his will. And there's a lot of ways you can jump in and do that. And so contacting uh, the church or the Connection Center as you leave would be a great place to start. But maybe there's some, some doubts and some lies that just have really sunk deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, and community is what we need as we process and rely on God's strength. Life groups here at Grace are so important group of 12 or so people coming together to read God's scripture, to pray together, to walk life together, to serve together. And so if that's a place where God's calling you to do, I please, please don't let this moment pass. Please uh, text the church phone number um, or go to the Connection Center as you leave and get connected to a life group. And if, if, there's, if there's an issue that you really need prayer, the prayer team will be over here to my right. Uh, they would love to pray for you, to walk life with you, just to pray over any of the needs that you have. And if, if baptism or membership are a part of your, your faith journey here, we would love to take part in that. Um, God is doing amazing things, and it's amazing to see all the lives transformed. But as we, as we leave, I just want us to remember finding rest in God's glory, seeking his presence comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we understand who he is and his love for us, that changes everything. That rest that we've been longing for becomes our own. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here to speak to us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for taking the tree climbing that mountain so that we could have a relationship with God. Thank you that we do not receive the judgment that we deserve, but we find that rest, that life, and that close relationship with you, God. Thank you. God, we commit our lives to you. May you continue to speak and use us for your glory and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.